wouldn't it be great if there was someone that all of us in the world go to to help us navigate these challenging moments? And and then I thought, well, obviously it's not political, you know. And then I thought, oh, what if we got a great rabbi and a great imam and the Pope and the Dalai Lama? And then I found out how many hundreds of other religions there are that I've excluded in my ignorance. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that this idea was unrealistic, and that all of these changes that we need to see happen in the world have to start at home and the individual doing something different. Welcome home to the Lindsay Martin Ellis Experience. This is your virtual sanctuary where we keep it light while going deep and ground spirituality into the reality of what it means to be human. We explore consciousness, evolution, alternative health, all things truth, taboo, and beyond. There are no boxes or rules here. Tune in each week where myself and raw and real guests will be sharing our lived experience through a multifaceted lens to support you no matter where you're at on your journey. This is a sacred space where spiritual principles and universal wisdom are accessible, simple, and digestible because all are welcome here. It is your birthright to remember the magic and miracle that you are. You ready to be inspired? Let's do this, love. Hello, hello, beautiful humans. This will probably be a short and sweet intro. I'm excited to bring you... Alan Questel today, Exploring Intentional Acts of Kindness. He is the author of How to Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More. He's also got a couple of other books. And, but today we're talking all about kindness. We kind of explore the differences between kindness and generosity, tough love, how sometimes not acting is the most generous act of kindness that we can partake in. Really how to start with, you know, practicing intentionality and, you know, anything that we want to be become more that we want to become more of a way of beingness about us does require practice, right? It requires not just doing it one time and not just having something be random, right? Like we we definitely explore the difference between intentionality and random acts of kindness. Um, We talk a lot about liking ourselves more, right? Which again, that inner critic game can be so strong. I know that I've suffered from that in my Virgo, my Virgo sunness. One of the biggest things is being critical of myself and being, being critical of others. And what I really found is like noticing when I am in that criticality piece around those that I'm in relationship with, just how it's a direct reflection of where I'm criticizing myself and where I'm still in self beat up. And we definitely talk about that. We talk about his run-ins with the Dalai Lama and yeah, just how kind of everything starts and ends with us, right? How we make shifts on the planet is, is really that inner game. It really does take intentionality and practice. And I loved Alan's energy. I didn't know him prior to recording the episode. His team had reached out and, um, I usually just kind of like feel into it when people reach out to be on the show and kind of just feel into, what they have to offer, their resonance. Yeah, just generally I say yes, because I want to kind of explore different people and, you know, different thought 
thought processes and different life experiences that people have. And of course, I love learning from others as well. And yeah, Alan is a beautiful soul. He's just got, again, a very kind heart. (laughs) So, um, yeah, like I can just feel like the kindness that exudes from him and you can tell that he really cares about what he does and really cares about people and really cares about growth and, and cares about making the planet a little bit kinder and allowing ourselves to, you know, love ourselves back into wholeness a bit more. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. So just some updates from me as I'm looking at my calendar, as I'm now recording in my new and improved studio, podcast recording studio, which is currently the nursery. (laughs) Chad and I put the, well, when I say Chad and I, I helped a little bit, but he put the crib together yesterday, the dresser together yesterday. I washed pretty much all of the clothes and burp cloths and washcloths and sheets. (laughs) Things are getting real. So they're all folded around me on the floor. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's definitely feeling more real. So I've got a couple of other pre-recorded episodes and I'll probably record a goodbye for now episode as we close out the month as long as um, I'm still pregnant. I'll likely be closing out the month of January, ending season two of the show. That's what's feeling resonant right now in terms of timing. And um, but again, we don't know when he's coming. (laughs) So um, yeah, Chad's birthday is January 20th, right as we move from Capricorn to Aquarius. I feel my baby's in Aquarius. And my original due date was January 27th, which is Chad's father's, late father's birthday. And I actually talk about Chad's father in the episode. And let me tell you, on the other side, I know my father-in-law and he is going to be doing everything within, <laughs> within his power to... Uh, bring this baby earthside on January 27th, if he has any say in it. Um, However, my due date has shifted a bit to February 4th. So it's the range of January 27th, which is my father-in-law's birthday, to 2424. And of course, we don't know when this little child is coming. It could be before, it could be during that window, it could be after. And I really am trusting the process and the more that I'm learning about the stage of physiological labor. I'm already starting to actually feel signs of my body preparing for this process. And it's just getting real and getting excited. And yeah, I feel like I'm kind of in the liminal space right now. Time is slowing down. All of my contracts with my existing coaching clients are kind of wrapping up this week and next. And um, not really scheduling anything, just kind of in nesting mode and spending a lot of time with myself and prayer and meditation and also just getting excited about like, for example, washing baby clothes and folding them was really like an exciting process for me yesterday um, in my nesting phase. So yeah, I think that's my update. That's kind of how I'm feeling. I'm feeling ready. I'm feeling solid. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling supported. I have so much support around me. I'm extremely grateful for, as we're talking about kindness, my sister 
gave me everything that she had from when she had my my nephew Preston, who's now two, my beautiful friend Lauren also gave me so many things, things that my sister didn't have. She gave me maternity clothes. She gave me nursing clothes. She gave me additional goodies that um, I didn't have (laughs) from my sister. I had a baby shower that my family threw for me when I was in Florida. And I had a blessing way that my beloved, beautiful friends threw for me here last weekend. I've received just beautiful gifts and again, donations and hand-me-downs. I've received love. I've received support to set up a meal train for when the baby comes. People have given me gift certificates to have body workers come to my house postpartum and love on me and take care of me. And um, my birth team went to my blessing way. My birth team, we all had a meeting a few days ago here at the house to just like ground everything in. And at my blessing way, I received a lot of items for, I'm going, which I already actually set up, but I have a birth altar and I got a lot of really beautiful items. Um, I got love notes from them. I got candles where they wrote on candlesticks, empowering messages for me to burn during labor. I mean, there is just like so much support. So really um, feeling blessed in terms of the community that I have and um, the support that I have. And it's actually really funny. I don't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode, but I had a a lot of people come to my local blessing way and the blessing way again is a a rite of passage for the mother from maiden to mother. It's different than a shower where the shower is more for the baby, you know, gifts is pretty standard, pretty traditional, but you know, the, the blessing way is, is again, like more of this rite of passage of the mama just getting loved on and getting support from other mamas and other women and just being really in this this healing support circle of other of other women and um now I don't even remember where my train of thought was oh so I had a lot of people tell me oh my gosh there's so many people here you just moved to North Carolina like how do you know all these people like how are all these people here and I was like I love people and I'm not afraid to befriend people and I'm not afraid to start up a conversation and I'm not afraid to invite someone that I only met once to come to my blessing way because we had a deep connection, (laughs) you know, like some people who came to my blessing way I've known for years. Some I had met only once, actually some I hadn't even met yet, but, um, like we connected online virtually through another community and we had a deep connection or we just hit it off. And right. So it's like, I'm not afraid to ask if it feels resonant and I'm also not afraid, you know, and it's that co-created thing where, someone's like honored, you know, someone was like, wow, I can't believe, thank you for asking me. And people made special trips to fly in and also to drive in. And, you know, that's kind of the biggest pieces. You know, I talk about this in the episode to kind of come back full circle with the episode with Alan is I really used to give to get, I really did. Like I was so burned out for so long and I was really in my people pleasing and I was really, kind of obsessed, which again, I think this is the shadow of my Virgo son is, is like really obsessed with, with like, I want people to like me and I want to look good and I want to be like a bull. And I want people to think that I'm a good human quote unquote. And as I, as I deepened in my healing journey, and as I continued to work on myself, 
really for the sake of working on myself, not for anything else. I just noticed um, being in relationship with people became easier and more people came into my field and came into my life that were meant for me. It was just easier to be in relationship with people. It was easier for me to like feel into like, Ooh, this is my person or this is not my person or this person resonates or this person doesn't. And really like not from any, any form of judgment, just like really having fun playing in relationship with people and cultivating relationships and, and bringing people into my life. And yeah. And like, I've done some deep work and I've, I've been in some deep, deep, you know, communities where we've done deep work together. And I think that brings us together, right? Intimacy really brings us together. And I'm not afraid to be intimate anymore in a lot of ways. Of course, trust me, this is all still a work in progress. There's still, you know, always room for improvement, but um, obviously the podcast is my place to practice being intimate and, and really opening up with people. And I do, I think it makes it easier to connect with people when you're not afraid to be intimate. And when you realize you're not alone and so many of us share the same challenges and so many of us share the same, yeah, the same constructs that plague our minds from time to time. And, and um, again, like I, I genuinely love relating to people. I love connecting with people. I love being intimate with people. And again, like for many of many, much of my life, it was coming from a, a wound and it did start to burn me out. And it's like, I had a lot of friends on paper, but it was exhausting. And now I feel like I'm very deeply nourished by the relationships in my life. And I feel truly blessed. And um, a lot of what Alan and I talk about is, you know, that intentionality of, of what it means to be kind and sometimes having the tough conversations or sometimes allowing relationships to dissolve that really aren't serving anymore. And, um, like really taking a look inside of how relationship dynamics are co-created and and all of the things. And, you know, the more that I like really anchor in my beingness, who I am and like, how committed and connected I am to myself, the easier it is to say no with an open heart to people and not to be bashful and to not feel like I need to respond to that text message right away or I need to do things in order for, yeah, in order for someone to feel better, right? Like about themselves and and all of the things. Like it's it's so interesting how I can like be in my no in a lot of ways with an open heart and people receive that and, and not take it personally. Right. Like, so I'm, I'm really learning. Yeah. How to be in my no and how to be in my yes, especially as I navigate, um, you know, being pregnant, (laughs) talk about a time to practice. And of course, stepping into motherhood and we've actually already had family members and things like talking about coming to visit and, and all of this stuff, because we know people are excited to meet our, our baby boy soon. And my husband and I, it's been very clear that we're not actually allowing any visitors until we, until he's here and until we feel that it's appropriate. And we don't know if that's one week in, one month in, three months in, right? Like really honoring the process and not feeling like, oh, I don't want to disappoint this family member because they're going to want to come and visit and allowing um, the moment to then create that 
reckoning of like, oh, it's time now, right? Not feeling like, okay, probably within a month, it should be fine. Like book your flights. So that's just one example of not worrying about other people's feelings being hurt and really being clear on, yeah, this sacred time that where I'll be healing and bonding with my baby and with my beloved partner, Chad, and and not knowing how I'm going to be feeling and what things are going to look like. Who knows? I may be like, everybody come. I want all the support right now. Anyone can visit, but I don't know. And so that has been such this, this journey of, you know, this pregnancy journey and stepping into motherhood has really allowed me to explore my relationship dynamics even more. And again, like not worry about other, like hurting other people's feelings at the expense of, you know, banishing an aspect of myself. I think that feels really important and just staying in my heart and staying present and staying open and staying connected and really letting people feel me, right? When I'm like, oh, hey, this is what we're doing and why and sharing, right? Like sharing openly about why it's important to us so people understand and all of that. That's been really fun to navigate. So it's been fun to explore this um, this conversation again with Alan because it was probably about two months ago when we had it. And again, I love going back and, and re-listening because there's always little nuggets of like, oh yeah, okay, there it is again. There it is again. And I have these again, little stories that I've applied in my life of like, okay, here's how I'm doing it. Like, okay, that might, that one conversation maybe didn't go the way that I expected, or this person may have their feathers ruffled, or this person may, I may be feeling misunderstood in this moment, or wow, that went beautifully, or wow, I'm feeling so supported. And um, even though people may not understand my path with like parenthood and motherhood and my labor process and this pregnancy journey, like they can respect it, or maybe sometimes they can't. And just really learning to navigate yeah, that whole process has been, it's been really enlightening to re-listen to this. So again, I am forever a student and teacher and I'm sharing about the journey that I'm in because this is the journey that I'm in right now with, um, you know, stepping into motherhood. And of course, then there's going to be the next thing where I get to continue to apply, you know, intentional acts of kindness and, and really, again, Mm, liking myself more, healing my relationship with myself, coming back into wholeness. So enjoy this conversation with Alan and myself. As always, reach out to us, get your hands on his book and yeah, check him out on social media. I really hope that this supports you. And yeah, it's kind of like bittersweet because I've been doing the podcast weekly for gosh, like a year and a half now, but it's going to feel really good to be so present and to just be off my devices. And I feel like I'm going to come back with so much more clarity after taking a pause because, you know, oftentimes the pause is, yeah, really what is what creates the pivot, right? When we can take that pause, there's going to be more clarity that comes through with the podcast and new direction and a new zest for life, which I can't wait to share with you once I get to that space. All right. Big love to you all. Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome back to the show. I have Alan Questel here with me today, and we are going to talk all about kindness and a whole multitude of, of other things. He is an author, a teacher, and a director, and we're going to talk all about what that means to him. Would you like to say hello? 
Hi, everybody. And Lindsay, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So I always like to ask the question, you know, I have your bio here, but it's always, you know, better coming from you. Mm-hmm. Who are you? And, you know, I, I did love in your bio, you know, you are a teacher and there's this down to earth style of teaching that you speak of and understanding humor and a gentle human perspective, which all of that I absolutely resonate with. And it's very much my style of teaching as well. So I'd love to just hear, yeah, a little bit about that and just kind of what you brought, what brought you to this work in this place and time. Well, you know, uh, often when someone asks me that question, I start out with more professional things, but I think today I'm going to start out with something more personal. Um, yes, I love it. Yeah. And, and that is my dad in the later years of his life, he ran out of money. And fortunately, my brother and I were able to support him. And, uh, and then he developed dementia. And finally, we had to put him in a home. And it was a pretty nice home. It was down in Florida, where he lived, was living half time with my, my stepmother. And um, she was going to New York for the summer to visit her kids and grandkids. And then I thought, he's going to be all alone. There's, all his friends are leaving Florida for the summer. And I was never really that close to my dad. There was no bad feeling. But you know, it was just kind of a neutral relationship. And I got it in my head to, since he was going to be all alone, I thought, I'm just going to start calling him every day. And I was in California then, and it was the time zones worked out pretty well. And I started calling him every day for about five minutes. And I did that for three years. And that single event taught me more about what it means to be kind to someone just about anything else I've done. And it it taught me not just in the sense of the act of it, because I think kindness is an act. When we talk about kindness as compassion or empathy, those are aspects of it, but it's the action that's most important, I think. And what I encountered during all that time were all the resistances I had and struggles I had around it. And Again, the, the, the learning about just being consistent with something in a kind act. And it was, of course, at the time, I wasn't thinking I was doing a kind act. I was just calling my dad because he was alone. And later on, as I reflected on it after he passed away, you know, I'd still pick up the phone every morning. Oh, it's gone. Yeah, I did that for about a year. And I realized that that taught me a great deal. And I actually still have people in my life like that. Some young people, some older people. I don't call them every day, but I call them once a week, once a month. And every time they're like so happy to hear from me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I think that's the, that's, that's more the personal and emotional beginning of what led me to the book. And I include that in everything I teach and all the contexts I teach in too. Mm, I love that you took it there because there's that relatability piece, which and the humanity piece that really grounds in the teachings and the principles of of right how we serve. It's through our own individuated experience, right? And my father-in-law passed from early onset dementia a couple of years ago. And actually, right when I met my husband is when he was diagnosed. So I was really there from the beginning up until his passing five years later. And 
I don't know about your father, but there's almost like they go back to this childlike state. Yeah. yeah. And even if they don't remember you, like there's so much that it brought me into in terms of remembering to be playful and present and be a child. And even though there were really tough moments, I'm sure eventually it served you so much as well, right? It wasn't just, I'm calling my dad because he's alone. He was in service to you as well. So can you speak to that for a moment? Yeah, well, it's funny the way you talk about it, because once my dad used to smoke and he had to stop and he sort of stopped. He'd always sneak cigarettes. And now he's in a home and I would go and visit and we'd drive around far, you know, going to do different things. And he wanted a cigarette. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll go. <laughs> what kind do you want? He went, the yellow one. So, okay. So I had to figure <laughs> that out. And I got the yellow ones. And then we're sitting in the car and I don't smoke, but I thought, oh, what the hell? I'm going to have a cigarette with him. So I'm sitting in the car smoking with him. And he looks at me and he said, I guess you're the dad now. Aww. And that was like so touching. And, and, and it was true. I mean, I was responsible for everything, taking care of him and stuff. And um, it it really calls you to task to be with someone like that. To spend, like I would go and visit for a week and spend all day with someone who didn't talk a lot, who ate so slowly it was unbearable. You know, I could finish two baskets of rolls by the time he got to his dessert or something and to learn patience with him and 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 to, to find the, the sweeter moments, the gentle, playful moments that we were talking about. Yeah. And he would do these things that, you know, I look back. One, one thing he did that was really he, he'd run out of money, like I said. So when we put him in a home. I call him one day and he's telling me, he tells me he has $138. And I went, what? Where'd you get that? And, and I, I said, put it away. Wait, because I was going to visit in a couple of weeks. I said, I'll be there in a couple of weeks. And every day he's telling me about his money and he's counting it on the phone and saying, what's going on here? And I get there. I have to show it to you. Um, oh, I don't have it with me. I'll do it like this. I get there and he, 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 I said, show me your money. He goes, oh, yeah. And he pulls out $3 and he starts counting it. One, two, three, four. And he just had $3. He was counting it. It was so sweet. And I said, put it away. He said, does that work for you? I said, no, I work for a living. And then when I was gone, he'd lose the $3 and I'd call him. And he'd be hysterical, like the, like the stock market crashed. Aww. And and I would call the front desk and I'd say, give him $3 again. Mm. all came back and he was so thrilled so and yeah. the thing is like when you say to be present for those things that's a challenge yeah that, that, that's in a sense it's it's almost our work with ourselves because i know so many people who avoid those things yeah they don't do it they don't come to it and even you know in, in the book on kindness i actually start out with the idea that this can be a challenge yeah. Everybody wants more kindness, but to really implement it in a regular way, yeah, not so easy. So mm. that's when we have to be kind with ourselves, Absolutely. gentle with ourselves, make mistakes, fail, get up again. Yeah. I love this, you know, anecdote because it really you talk about the being present to the sweet moments, right? Like those micro moments, but 
what you what you're speaking of is we can't really actually get there unless we're present to and allow and be in relationship with the moments that are challenging that trigger us that challenge us that create emotions within our being and that is why this and this is really the the impetus of my work and so yeah let's talk about that and talk about your book because you had this like pivotal moment and of course when we're in it we don't realize the profound nature of that experience but it sounds like it really catalyzed you into I get to be with this I get to move with this this isn't always easy I'm going to sometimes say the wrong thing or you know, lose my patience or whatever it is, but ultimately you're healing and you're helping your father heal. And then of course the the kindness and really just exudes from us once we meet that part of ourselves. So I'd love to hear, yeah, the principles of your teachings and, and some of the, the teachings of your book and let's, let's hear it from you. Okay. So uh, 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 maybe a more concrete beginning was when I was creating a workshop around self-image. And my main work most of my life has been teaching the Feldenkrais Method, which is a movement technique that's based on learning theories. And I work with people with orthopedic and neurological problems, professional athletes, dancers, actors, and anyone who really wants to produce a shift in their self-image. So as I, as I was creating this workshop on self-image, I started to think that, you know, I think our self-image is a reflection of how much we like ourselves or how much we don't like ourselves. So if I have a good self-image, I like myself. And if I don't have some, such good self-image, I don't like myself. And then after playing with this idea, I started to think, huh, this is my job to help people like themselves more. And of course, I've done it primarily through the Feldenkrais method. And I can give you, so Feldenkrais, I teach Feldenkrais trainings. That's what I direct. And they're four years long. They make two months a year, so they're long. and. I'm with the same people for a long period of time, so I really get to know them and watch them develop and grow, which is great too. But one, the first time I really started teaching this was quite a number of years ago in Australia. And when I graduated this group, I'd call someone's name and I'd give them their certificate and I'd give them a hug. I can't tell how many people whispered in my ear, I like myself more now. Mm. And I thought, you know, that made it all worthwhile. Now, I, I want to be clear. This idea of liking ourselves more, I'm still learning to like myself more. So it's not, by no way a finished product, nor will it ever be. And an outcome I didn't expect through all this is that being kinder or liking myself more, like the things I write about in the book, I feel pretty skilled at. But now the next step for me to be kinder or like myself more is even more challenging. So that's that challenge I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. To grow ourselves, we have to invest in something like that. So this process of liking yourself was, and I always ask groups, I say, is there anyone here who doesn't want to like themselves more? And they make the same smile you just made. <laughs> 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 everyone wants to like themselves more. Even people say, I already like myself. Right. Like they're like, I got it, right? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Well, hang in there. There's more, you know. <laughs> and uh but that's very much an intrapersonal process we do within ourselves. And then one day, I happened to do some small kind act for someone. I don't even remember what it was. And I realized in the next moments, I like myself more. And I thought, oh, that's the link to the outside world to do acts of kindness. 
And not to do the acts of kindness so I can pat myself on the back and say, oh, now I like myself more. It's that they're genuine things that we can do and practice daily. Because, you know, the, the title of the book, Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More, of course, it takes off of the bumper stick of Practice Random Acts of Kindness, which is brilliant. I love that. I used to have that on my car. I think that's a great bumper sticker. And those are great stories, those random acts of kindness. But then the question is, to be good at anything, and I, I really make that a strong statement, anything we need to practice. It doesn't just happen once. If it happens once and we get good at something, we're lucky. But most of the time we need to practice. And even if we're good at it, if we practice it, we get better at it. People who practice a lot recognize that. So they don't, we don't stop practicing it. So then I really started to think, well, what are things that were small enough that we could do, replicate every day, have access to more kindness in our lives? Because most of the time, when we want more kindness, I think we bite off more than we can chew. And then we fail, or we don't succeed, and then we beat ourselves up, and we stop. And it's like getting a gym membership, you know. <laughs> you know, you're going to go, I got a plan, I'm going to go every day. Okay, now I'll go three, I'll go, maybe I'll go next week. And all of a sudden, the year's gone by, and do I reinvest in it again or not? Something like that. And so yeah. I was really looking for everyday moments that could make a difference and build and grow into a kinder person, someone who likes themselves more. I call that the gym membership for the soul. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I might, I might use that. That's good. Yeah, because it's, it's a, it's, it is, it's a practice, right? Like it, yeah. it is, it, it's a muscle. And when we're repatterning and reprogramming it, it, we get to be intentional. I love that you included that intentionality because random could be very few and far between to where it's not really moving the needle forward. I do want to ask you this question though, because I think a lot of the way that we're modeled and and wired is, is, oh, I'm going to do this in order to get, right? I'm going to practice this act of kindness in order to feel better about myself, in order for somebody to eventually do something for me, in order for me to feel whole because I don't already feel whole and complete. So I'd love for you to talk about that and the difference in how to move through life in that way of, of knowing that, of course, the kindness within our being and, of course, the kindness that we will receive will expand, but not because we're trying to get somewhere or get something from somebody else. Yeah. So the first thing I would say about that is that that's not a bad start. <laughs> if yeah. it does lead me to an act of kindness, it's like, okay, maybe it's a bit self-serving and I'm doing it for ulterior motive or something like that. But the fact is... It is an act of kindness. And, you know, I think one place where I talk about it in the book is around generosity. Mm-hmm. Generosity is a pretty misunderstood thing. Um, and actually, in the, in, in the dictionary, kindness and generosity are often equated. He's so kind, so generous, right? And I don't think they're the same thing. And I know many people who are super generous. But they don't think they are. And they're super generous, but they can't receive. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who are stingy as can be, and they think they're generous, right? And all they do is receive. 
and and the, the the idea of giving something or being kind to get something back that's where again that's the kind of rigorous work we need to look at why am i giving something like that i used to be like that i used to give really expensive gifts mm-hmm. things that were too big i would make people uncomfortable and I think I can still give big gifts, but I can be really clear that when I'm giving it, I'm, I'm giving it to a person at a point where they'll be able to receive it, you know. And in in my general, you know, quote generosity, I realized I had a lot of trouble receiving because I did have the experience once where some friends of mine got together and they bought me for my birthday three couples, and they bought me a very expensive VCR. Now, a lot of people listening to this don't know what a VCR is. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like what we watched movies on. You know, it was before DVDs. And uh, I, I was so moved by it. I could, I could, this was too big. I, I can't. And I had trouble receiving it. And, and I think that that's part of the investigation of giving. You know, the metaphor I use in the book is Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And I, I, I tell Goldilocks gave one bear a pair of socks that someone had given to her. So it was regifting, and I think regifting is fine. But you know, there's no thought: will this person really want these socks? Is it the right color for them? All of that. And then to one of the other bears, she gave a huge, big, tremendous widescreen TV. And of course, the, the bear was overwhelmed. And said, now the bear has to think: Do I have to give such a big gift from now on? And What's the purpose of doing that? And I do have friends who give me gifts, and I can feel behind it their need to be acknowledged for it, to be loved for it, to get something back for it. And I don't judge that. I think, okay, I'm going to receive the gift. But then to the third bear, she gave the perfect gift, a frying pan that she wanted, and it was the perfect size, and she wished she could have bought the whole set and everything. So that gift made sense. Now, you know, sometimes people ask me, so how do you know what to give? Like, how do you gauge that in any way? So I have this trick, and it's a trick that's used for lots of other things, too. Someone taught it to me once, not my idea, which is if you want to give this gift, let's say, and you're not sure, maybe it's too much, you flip a coin, and as the coin is in the air, you notice what are you hoping for is the answer. And don't look at the coin. Just it's, if I'm hoping for, I really want to give them this gift, or I think it's too much. And if I think it's too much, don't give the gift. So there's a way we can trick ourselves out of these moments like moments like that. And you know, I, I can I can tell you another story because uh, in, in in the chapter on generosity, I've got things to do. Right? How do you practice generosity? So one suggestion is if you're at a restaurant or at a hairdresser or a taxi, whatever, Uber, and you're going to give a tip, if you usually give 20%, for every $5 or 10%, doesn't matter. For every $5 you give, add a dollar. If you're giving a $20 tip and you give them $24, that makes the server really happy. And, of course, it has to be done within our means. And the irony of it, when I was writing about this, I went out to dinner with some friends, and I picked up the check. It was about $70. And 
And I figured, oh, I'll leave 20%. That's 85. Well, I'm going to leave more. And I had a $100 bill in my pocket. I thought, I'm going to leave that. And the next moment, I clutched. I was like, that's too much. I can't do that. All the other was noise in my head. And I took a deep breath, and I got the $100. And when I got to the door, the waitress stopped me and said, you just made my night. But I'm telling that because it's still a moment of challenge when I go, yes, is this right? Can I do this? Is it too much? Why am I doing this? You know? And so giving to get is something to be examined. And I'd say that many people I meet who give to get have a hard time receiving. Yeah, oh, that's a beautiful correlation. I absolutely used to give to get, and I also used to have a very difficult time receiving. <laughs> so <laughs> I see I see that um, that's been an especially stepping into motherhood. Many of the podcast listeners know that I'm stepping into motherhood and just really being in that receiving state and accepting support and help and and all of that and just noticing, oh man, there's still, like you said, I'm a masterpiece and a work in progress in the same breath. Like there's still more. And I do love that you talked about starting where you are right at the beginning when you were answering that question. Like if there is a sense of like, I'm doing this because I want to like myself, right? Or I'm doing this because I want to feel a certain way or, or get something in return. Really being okay with that. I mean, there's so much judgment around where we think we want to go and I love that you presence, that's a start and, yeah. and just allowing that as a start. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's where we, we need to be accepting of ourselves and not beat ourselves up so much. You know? so, yeah. Uh, and being being human beings, not so easy, you know. Not so easy, what we not sign so up easy. for. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So I do have a question because you said that kindness and generosity, you have differing definitions of those, but then you did say that there's like a section in your book on practicing generosity in your kindness book. So can you differentiate for us what what your definition of those terms are and how you like the interconnectedness of them in your teachings? Well, a kind act could be a generous act. The act of giving could be kind, right? But the act of not giving could be kind too, right? And, and that's where they're not the same thing, that sometimes it's better to withhold something. It's a story I have in the book from a friend of mine who was a therapist, and she was, going, she was at another, her friend's house to have dinner, and they had a three-year-old. And the three-year-old came in with a bag of M&Ms. She's like, I want M&Ms, I want M&Ms. And the mother said, you can't have them now. We're going to have dinner in a few minutes. And, of course, the kid starts to lose it. And mother says, okay, wait. You can have three M&Ms. And the kid was satisfied with that, of course, and walked away, was happy, and it ate her dinner, too. And my friend who was a therapist. She said to her, I can't believe you let her manipulate you like that. And she said, you know, she has to learn there is some battle she can win. What she doesn't know is right now I'm choosing those battles. And I think... <laughs> That's such a great example of like, how much do you give? When is it important not to give, right? A kind act, like tough love, which I write about too, that's hard to do tough love with someone. Because in tough love, it can be seen, it can, it can, it can show up in a way of saying no to something, or it can show up 
but just a kind of honesty. And when I talk about honesty, I want to differentiate that from criticism. They're not the same thing, right? Like I had a student in a training in Australia. So she came to make up time from another program in Australia. She was there for a month and then she left. And I give her some attention, but she's not the, my main student body, so she's on the periphery. And then she came for another segment for a month. And I was like, oh, you're back. Okay, great. And then she came a third time. And at this point, I said to her, how much more time do you have to make up? And she said, this is it. And I said, well, it's you should have transferred to my program rather than doing all this piecemeal stuff like this. And Unfortunately, I didn't really feel that she was ready to graduate. And I also thought, I was like struggling, is this my responsibility or is this, this is the responsibility of the educational director from her original program? I kind of went back and forth and I thought, well, I'm not going to interfere because that's really not my role. So she graduated while she was in my program and I said to her, can we have a coffee together? She she knew something was up. She said, are you going to drop a bomb on me? And I said, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that to you. And I sat down with her and I said, look, this might be an awkward conversation, but I think you need to have someone share an honest perspective with you. And that is, I don't think you're ready to graduate. And she got, you know, really started you know, I said, look, I'm not saying you can't become a practitioner. I think you can for sure. But I think you need to practice more. And she started to get a little defensive and accusatory and stuff. I said, look, I, I don't want to get into an argument with you. I'm not going to sabotage anything for you. I'm telling you that for you to get better at this, I think you need to practice for maybe a couple of years without charging money to see what it's like to learn like that. So you don't have the pressure of producing a result which money creates for people and see how that goes. And again, it was, it was not an easy conversation. And uh, I saw her about a year and a half later and she said, that was so helpful. Now, was that kind? Yeah. Was it easy? No. She, if I asked her at that moment, I'm being kind to you, she would go, you're, this isn't kind. This is blah, 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 whatever she felt it was. And so. Kindness is is, is, is is something that's that is right for the moment for the person that we're dealing with. You know? Is it is it and and again, withholding something. So many parents kids who go through money like crazy. And and and, and to give them more money, it's not coming. It it perpetuates this, this misuse of the money and the misuse of themselves and the false idea that it's okay to do something like that. So there, I think kindness and generosity can be, they can be the same thing and then they can split yeah. and become two different things. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. That definitely resonates. And, you know, I always, I am a recovering people pleaser and I, I used to. <laughs> that a 12 person, that's a 12 person program. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I noticed when I really did this deep internal work that the people pleaser in me was actually more afraid to have the conversation 
that may I would feel would be kind and open and loving and also fierce and stern and empowered or whatever it was. And the other person may think it's unkind. I notice myself stopping myself from having these conversations really because I was afraid of what the conflict would do to me. Right. So we think we're like protecting the other person and, oh, we don't want to hurt their feelings. But for me, it was really about, I don't want them to get mad at me. I don't want them to never talk to me again. I want to belong. I want them to like me. And so I love that you differentiated that to be kind is sometimes doing the hard thing, is having the hard conversation, is being transparent and in integrity. And I feel that that's what the world needs more than ever. Yet, right, so many of humanity, so much of humanity doesn't know how, right? There's the triggers and the projections and the, the you know, accusations. And so maybe if you can speak to that a bit, because it's like, the right, the more we connect with ourselves, the more that we know who we are, we're not frazzled as much or shaken as much by, right, that student, yeah. right? You were prepared for what she was going to say and how she was going to respond. And then she thanked you. It took time, but then she eventually ended up thanking you for being in your integrity with what you felt. I I actually don't know that I was prepared, (laughs) but I I felt that I had to do it. Yeah. You know, and and that, that, because if I waited till I felt prepared, I probably wouldn't have done it. I love that. I I think that, that, that that's true for me at least. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go off a little bit, but then return to exactly what you're talking about because it's something else I write about in the book. And I, I could tell you a story of I was traveling home from Europe. I'd been teaching for a month and I was tired. And I was sitting on the plane and I started thinking in a week and a half, I had to go on a, a trip and I became completely overwhelmed. Just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And somehow I caught that moment. And I was able to ask myself this simple question. Alan, is this a good time to be thinking about this? And the answer was no. (laughs) You're stuck on a plane. You don't have material. You can't prepare anything. You're you're tired. Let it go. And that lasted maybe for an hour. And then my mind went off again and I started doing it. And I was like, wait, is this a good time to be thinking about this? No. And what I've discovered is that whenever that question comes up, the answer is always no. Always know. And then, so I talk about that. And then I talk about two other mantras, which relate more, I think, to what you're, you're talking about. I got them from a therapist friend. And one is, again, you have to catch the moment that you're in that loop, right? To say, I'm driving around in a bad neighborhood. This isn't serving me. And the other one is more when I'm having an internal conversation with someone. I'm making up a conversation with them. And I just catch that and go, oh, I'm at a dead end. I don't know mm-hmm. how they're going to respond. That's why I couldn't be prepared for her because I have no idea what would, what would occur. And in it, I talk about exactly what you're talking about, which is if you're in that loop of having that conversation with someone or if someone brings up someone's name and now you, you're you have to tell the story about them and how they hurt you and blah, blah, blah. Or if I hear their name and now I just start um, grumbling about it for the next two days or so, the next hour even, it doesn't matter how long. 
that's the moment where we have to ask, I have to ask myself the question, okay, maybe I need to have a conversation. Now, there's three possibilities. One is I can say, I'm just going to let this go. And if I do, great, but I've not been so successful in that because the conversations come up again. Or I can talk with them. But sometimes that's too daunting. So then maybe I need to see a counselor or someone to talk this through to get more insight and perspective about it so that when that does happen, and I'm not suggesting that the negative thoughts or conversation no longer happen. I'm suggesting that maybe we don't spend as much time in those conversations. But I can go, oh, I'm doing it again. I don't need to do that. And then, you know, I, I, I'm very clear because when I talk about having these conversations, the only way, because the only way we get good at these really difficult conversations is by having a lot of them. No yeah. one wants that. Like I had this realization once, and I got to be really careful when I say this, that, you know, the experience where you see an email from someone and you just go, oh, no. or the phone messages that, you go, oh. and one day I realized, oh, these are my best teachers. Yeah. These are the ones who demand that I move beyond that initial feeling and do that. But then in the book, I talk about, like, you can't say to someone, I think we need to have a conversation. <laughs> you're setting up a really defended conversation when you do that or we need to talk or I have to talk to you about something those don't work and you, you don't know what's going to work you have to try different things but some of the better things are you think it's possible that we have a conversation or I have a need to talk about some things would you be willing to have a conversation about it and if the person says no then I'm done there's nothing I can do. I can't no recourse there. Then I have to learn how to let go of it when something like that happens. And I think that, I, you know, when I talk about this, everyone, I haven't met someone yet who doesn't have this experience of these looping conversations, unfinished business kind of stuff, wanting to say something that I can't say, I don't know how to say. And, and I agree that I think when we don't do it, we're protecting ourselves. But we say we're protecting the other because mm -hmm. we don't want to hurt their feelings and stuff. But really, I'm just a little bit scared. And yeah. that's, that's the kind of courage it takes, you know? Um, I, this is along those lines. It's not as intimate or personal, but I think it's in the same direction. Um, so my friend who did the illustrations in the book, he said to me one day, he said, you don't have a, a, a forward for the book. So I know I, I've just been too busy trying to get the thing published and I don't even know who to get. And he said to me, what about the Dalai Lama? I said, what are you kidding? Is that a joke? You know, the Dalai Lama, my God. And about three months later, I was having a conversation with someone about the Dalai Lama. And I thought, huh, why not? It turns out the Dalai Lama's address phone number and email it's all online so can i can i read you the, the letter i wrote him sure yeah so uh i wrote this letter to his holiness the dalai lama i write to you with the utmost respect and admiration with a request that something you think would be of value in bringing more kindness to the world 
I just published a book called Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More. Many ask me if it's about compassion and empathy, and I say, of course. I tell them it's also about concrete ways to generate more kindness towards ourselves, towards others and ourselves. Things we can do every day to create a kinder world. You're part of the final chapter of Kindness and Spirituality. I've included a copy of this book along with this letter. Back to my request. Ask him with as much courage and humility as I can muster, with the understanding that it's likely too unrealistic, too large a request, realizing that before I even ask that it's not possible for you to fulfill, as you must receive many requests like this, also knowing that it's only in the asking that there's a small chance you could fulfill it. My book has no forward. Could you possibly write a forward for my book? I'm a little shocked at my own request. You do not know me. How do I have the nerve to ask such a thing from someone who represents so much to the world? Yet here I am, humbly asking for the benefit of others. Of course, reading the book is with the intention that it's for the benefit of others. But I'm not so naive to not acknowledge that it would also benefit, be a benefit to me. So if you gave me even a few words that I could add as a forward, I would commit to giving half of all the profits from my book to any cause or charities that you think would most benefit from financial contribution. I thank you in advance just for reading this letter. Any response at all would be a great gift for me. And if you're so inclined to write something for me, well, I have no words to express my thanks, other than if it helped even in a little way to bring more kindness in the world, it would bring me joy and great satisfaction. You can respond to me at blah, 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 with deep appreciation and recognition for all you do to make our world a kinder, more peaceful place, sending you light, peace, and love, Alan. So I wrote this letter, sent them the book, and then that's a car. I mean, when I read it to people, they're like, you wrote that letter to the Dalai Lama? I said, yeah, <laughs> you know, I had to, you know. I didn't hear back. And some months later, because it went to India and I didn't know about the mail and stuff. So I, I emailed this time with a PDF of the book. And I didn't hear back. And I was actually talking about this some months later on another podcast. And the guy, I can't remember who it was right now. He said to me, well, since you were going to donate the money to him, why don't you donate it anyway? I felt busted. It was like, that's a good example of giving to get, right? And you know mm -hmm. what? I just gave away a bunch of money that's half the profits of the book for this year. And I did it. And it's like, if that's what I was going to do, that's what I should do. It doesn't have to be just for the Dalai Lama or getting something back. But it, it's, it's the idea that all of us need to take that step. The person you don't want to talk to, talk to them. Talk to them. I mean, what's, you know what the word, in, in one of my programs, uh, they were going to do a practicum where they were going to work with the public. And I said, what's the worst that could happen? And they said, oh, they'll report us to you. or They'll get hurt or they'll kick us out of the training. I'm saying, no, this is. The worst that could happen is someone would die. And they were shocked that I said that. And I said, so, but if you think about that now, reporting you or kicking you out of the training, it doesn't seem so bad anymore, does it? Because no one died. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing with talking to someone. 
push ourselves a little. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I love that you shared that because with the Dalai Lama, because the answer is always no, if we don't ask. <laughs> and it's, yeah. and it's the same with, you know, like <sighs> repairing relationships or, I believe we learn through all relationships. And so if we're willing to have those courageous conversations and willing to do the hard thing, we see our relationships begin to flourish. And I love that you talk about the practice because I've seen it in my own life. Have some relationships dissolved? Yes, but there's no, like, I don't, I feel complete. The other person feels complete. Like there's no animosity. It's just a fluidness that, there's nearly 8 billion people on the planet and and relationships come and go and we get to foster those and and try. And so even with those in my life where there's challenging relationships and maybe I do get triggered or I say the yeah. thing or I get frustrated, I always come back to like, I'm willing to get it wrong. I'm willing to make the mistake. I'm willing to keep coming back and having these conversations. Are you? And if the answer is yes, I know. And then related to the podcast, right? You just gave me that that story inspired me because that's what I've been moving through as well is there's certain people that I have that moment of like, who are they to go on my little podcast that's growing <laughs> rapidly, but also <laughs> the, the assumptions that they don't have time or that they're not going to resonate or whatever it is. It's that piece of, he may come back for your next book years later, or you may run into someone who knows how to connect with the Dalai Lama that gets you right. connected and makes yeah. it happen. Right. And I love that that person called you forward on, on their show, like the other yeah. gentleman of like, and it's that humility that you keep coming back to like, oh yeah. And you just basically communicated to source the universe, whatever we want to call it. Like, I'm doing it. I'm here. Like, I'm committed. And who knows what that's going to look like with the unfolding. And maybe you'll get someone else that is even more exhilarating right. in that moment. And and so I really just wanted to thank you for that, right? Because whether we're having the hard conversation with a, a family member or asking someone like the Dalai Lama to write the forward of our book, it's really the same through line right. of relationship dynamics coming home to ourselves. Like really, like you said, learning to like ourselves more and through those intentional acts. So yeah, this is this has been powerful. Is there anything you want to add before we before we wrap up and we let people know how they can get in touch with you and, and get their hands on your book? Well, you know, it's funny that you said that because when people say, is there anything I'd like to add? I'll say what I often say, but then people say, don't you want to tell them where to get your book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope they find the book. But really, I would hope that, you know, th this idea of liking ourselves more, being kinder, as, as I said, I'm still learning to like myself more. And I, I would say the most I can hope for in a conversation like this is that maybe a seed gets planted in whoever listens to this, that they start to just give a little attention to liking themselves more, to finding more things they could do in terms of kindness to others and to themselves. And that's the most I would hope for. 
yeah. people find more moments of kindness and liking and so forth. Yeah. And one of the things that just came through as you were mentioning that is it's really challenging, at least from my experience, to practice intentional acts of kindness when I'm in my own suffering, right? Like so much of the world is suffering, is really struggling, right? Doesn't have the tools, doesn't know how to meet their emotions, like isn't willing or has never been taught to look at themselves in this way. And so I really truly believe like it starts and ends with us individually. And as we do that and stabilize from the inside out more, it's like like that practice, like you said, it just becomes a byproduct of our beingness. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when I finished the book, it was at a time where, and this is not about politics or anything, where Trump was not elected, Biden was elected. And the thing was, Trump got almost 50% of the votes. And it's like, what a world we're living in. And I started thinking, wishing for, wouldn't it be great if there was someone that all of us in the world go to to help us navigate these challenging moments? Yeah. And, and then I thought, well, obviously, it's not political. The UN is probably an example of that. And that hasn't worked yet. you know. And then I thought, oh, what if we got a great rabbi and a great imam? and the Pope, and the Dalai Lama. And then I found out how many hundreds of other religions there are that I've excluded in my ignorance. And I thought, well, and then Richard Branson and Peter Gabriel have put together this thing called the Elders, where they consult with people. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this idea was unrealistic. And, and you said it, and it's not something I made up. I've heard it many times before that all of these changes that we need to see happen in the world have to start at home and the individual doing something different with yeah. us. So I agree more than 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If we all just could, you know, spend a little bit of time in in the healing department, what would the world look like? Um, but that's the ripple that you have, right? That's the ripple that we all have is just some little nugget that's going to resonate the relatability, just again, the humility, the simplicity of it doesn't. And you mentioned this and we'll, we'll come back full circle that I believe it's actually in the mundane moments, the micro moments, as opposed to the big catastrophic gifts that we plan to give during the holidays. It's really in those small moments over time, like you said, the practice that really creates the ripple. And so I just want to thank you for your kindness and your generosity and for being so open about like, I'm still working through this myself because I think a lot of teachers and leaders, you know, (laughs) in their marketing and messaging claim to have figured it all out. And I think the world needs a lot less of that and a lot more of like, we're just human beings with you know our own journeys and we're sharing what we've learned and and the wisdom we've gleaned over the years and I just want to help. <laughs> I'm, there, I'm, I'm there for that too. So is there anywhere that you are online? Yeah. Um is there any ways that people can connect with you? Are your is your book on in you know major bookstores and on Amazon? I'll put everything in the show notes, so, but if there's anything you want to so, add website they can go to is practicing-kindness.com okay and that's for the book and there's a free worksheet you can download from there and um, it's sold on amazon and it's a paperback i like to say it's a kindle not a kindle 
<laughs> I love that. It's also an audio book that I recorded it. And, um, and then if you just Google my name, you'll find the other work I do, the Feldenkrais Method. I have other websites for that and stuff, but I think we can start with that one. I know. And I wanted to talk about this. Perhaps I'll have you come on the show again. But in your bio, you've got other books. You've got Creating Creativity, Embodying the Creative Process, which sounds very yummy to me. And then one of the Feldenkrais programs, which we're going to touch base on more off record, is Pregnant Women, Pregnant Pauses. And, you know, so I just love that you're multifaceted, right? It's not, you know, this is what happens when we start to flourish in these ways is we just kind of let the direction take us where we want to go. So yeah, we may have you on for like, okay, what's the next iteration of of Alan's body of work and all the ways that you really support people during this time? I would love that. That'd be great. Anytime okay. you just tell me. That'd be a lot of fun. All right, people. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please reach out to Alan and myself to let us know what landed, to let us know how this supported you. You can go ahead and pick up his book. Make sure to check the show notes for all the ways to connect. And we'll catch you next week for another episode. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Much love, everyone. Thank you for your presence and tuning in today. I believe in the power of reciprocity, so if you found value from this episode, I invite you to share the love. There are endless ways to do so, including leaving a rating and written review on Apple, forwarding the episode link to a loved one, reaching out to me on social media to say hi at Lindsay Martin Ellis, or sending me a love note via email at lindsay at lindsaymartinellis.com. I so appreciate you and your support. It's truly what keeps me going. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Lindsay Martin Ellis Experience. Much love.